Hello all, Kendra here. So I just wanted to give you all a few updates before we jump into the episode today. So this is our last episode of the 2020 season and we will be coming back and rejoining you all for the 2021 season in mid-January. But in the meantime, you can find weekly episodes of our Patreon podcast over on our Patreon. You can check out uh, the link in the show notes or go to Patreon and look up Reading Women. And I've asked some of my bookish friends to come on the show and chat books with me. So I have people lined up like Liberty Hardy, Matthew Sharapa, and Russell of Ink and Paper Blog. And I am so excited to chat with all of my friends and hear their recommendations and different things. And I have been so excited about all the books that they've been recommending. And each one of them recommends their own um, unique set of books. And there is some overlap. So if you want to find out the book that everyone and their mother's brother is recommending this year, you need to check out these episodes. So again, you can find those over on our Patreon. So as a quick reminder, uh, if you haven't checked out our special fifth anniversary of the Reading Win Award illustration with Jane Mount of Ideal Bookshelf, you should definitely go over to her website and check that out. Of course, that will be linked in the show notes. But all 10 winners of the Reading Women Award, including Thick by Tressie McMillan Cottom, Cantoras by Carolina de Robertis, and then the, this year's winners, Girl, Woman, Other, uh, as well as in the dream house uh, and all of our other winners over the last five years are on this illustration. I am 100% in love and you can go order a print, some postcards or a mug uh, by going over to the ideal bookshelf website. And I will link that down in the show notes. Definitely go order yourself some. I'm ordering them for all of my friends. Definitely go check that out. But yes, very excited about that illustration that Jane Mount has created for us. All right, so that's it for me. Now it's time to get into our episode. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Joss of Squibbles Reads, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. Today, I'm talking to Lissa K. Adams, the author of Crazy Stupid Bromance, which is out now from Berkeley. For a full transcript of this episode, check out this episode's show notes on readingwomenpodcast.com and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. So earlier this year, Joss and I met up before everything went um, a bit much and no one was seeing anyone. And so we met up at a bookstore um, in North Carolina and she points to this book and says, look, the Bromance Book Club, I love that. You need to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. I think everyone needs to read this book. (laughs) And so I did. And I have, in fact, read all three books in the Romance Book Club series now, and I love them all. Yeah, they are truly amazing. I think that the series would add so much levity and light, even if it is just for a quick few minutes every single day during the pandemic, amongst everything else. (laughs) It battles a lot of toxic masculinity traits. Um, And basically the premise is that these men get together and they read romance novels in order to kind of combat some of their own internalized misogyny. It's truly genius. It also includes kind of like snippets about uh, romance, like writing in the romance community and what uh, stereotypes there are of romance books and debunks all of them. It's truly phenomenal. And I really love how like meta it is being the nerd that I am and how 
it's fun because Lisa K. Adams is like, I'm writing a romance novel and I love them, but I'm also going to make fun of them sometimes, which is great because, you know, that's just the way it is. But I love how like they take these books and they look at the principles of what's going on and then they try to apply that to their own relationships with their, um, you know, girlfriends, wives, etc., and um, it's pretty fabulous to see these high, like hypermasculine guys like talking about toxic masculinity. Like, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's so so great. Um, a lot of them are athletes. Um, our male protagonist in this book is not an athlete, but a lot of them are, and I think it reflects a lot of some of the beliefs that kind of go around in this like hypermasculine athletics world. Um, and Lissa obviously talks a little bit about that in her interview today. Uh, her husband is a sports journalist and she uh, had some interaction with an athlete when uh, he started his own kind of romance book club and was featured in Men's Health magazine. So I just thought all of that was so fascinating and really interesting to talk about with her. Definitely. And this book that we're going to be talking about today is Crazy Stupid Bromance, which is the third book in the series. And of course, like most romance series, you can start wherever you want to in the series. And so no problem just jumping in, you know, on this book, but I would recommend them all. And uh, this one features um, a cafe owner, um, a cat named Beefcake, and Noah, the hacktivist, former hacktivist situation happening. So I really love that setup and all of the man buns in this book. We love a man bun situation. (laughs) All right. So a little bit about Lissa before we get started. Uh, Lissa K. Adams read her first romance novel in eighth grade after swiping one from her grandmother's bookshelf and was hooked forever. After a nearly 20-year career as a journalist, her dreams of writing and publishing her own Happily Ever Afters came true in 2015 with the release of her first novel, Seventh Inning Heat, followed by the Rita-nominated novella Wild and Rio. Today, she writes full-time from her home in Michigan with a pesky, fluffy canine assistant named Domino who spends most of his days snoring on her desk. That is, when he's not bearing things around the house. (laughs) Relate, right? (laughs) Fully relate. (laughs) All right. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Lissa K. Adams. Well, thank you so much, Lissa, for coming on the podcast. We are very thrilled to talk to you about your book today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we are huge fans of Romance Book Club. Uh, we were just talking about before we hit record that um, Joss told me about the series while we were in a bookstore, and I immediately went and got the audiobook. And um, it's it's been a great balm to my soul during the last like nine months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. I feel like, you know, if you can, if I can give people a place to escape right now, that is perfect. <laughs> Your books are truly like the best place to escape right now. They're they're perfect. They're fun. They have a ton of levity. They make me laugh. All recipes for for the perfect escapist book currently. <laughs> yes, it's it's great. I love books like this because like, you know, you can take a break from calling voters or doing the text banks or writing letters and you just take a moment to care for yourself and then you can wake up and get back at it the next day. So I love books like this. Definitely escapism. 
so we've been reading our books, then they have been bringing us joy during this time. Oh, what have you been doing um, to kind of give yourself a moment or something that's been giving you joy during this hellscape, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's, that's such a good question. I know, I, you know, because I, I am, you know, my deadline schedule has continued, you know, like before. So I'm, you know, just can't kind of keep on writing. But you know, what's so funny is I'm one of those people that like just, has been obsessed with um, jigsaw puzzles during all of this you know, craziness, you know, because we can't really go anywhere. You know, I don't know if you remember, like right after, you know, all the locks, you know, all of the, you know, shutdown started, you know, you couldn't, couldn't find puzzles anywhere. Like even Amazon was like sold out. Cause I was like one of those people that was buying 15 puzzles at a time and just like doing them like a, you know, mad person. Um, but honestly, I feel really, um, um, grateful because we have been in such a good spot, you know, unlike other people who are just so completely separated from family and friends. And, um, you know, my whole family lives in the area where I live and we've kind of formed our own little, our own little pod, our own little bubbles. So I, you know, we can still kind of interact a little bit and, uh, just, you know, being able to still see, you know, my, my home with my daughter and my husband, you know, he's working from home too. So, you know, we, we've just kind of continued on with life as much as possible, um, uh, with, uh, you know, just trying not to get sick of each other in the house all the time, (laughs) but yes, jigsaw puzzles. It's very weird. I've become obsessed with them. Oh my gosh, that is amazing because so I am in total random tangent, but I am in this group uh, of parents on Facebook in our city and there's like a swap so like they can sell their old items and, you know, other people can purchase them. (laughs) And it's hilarious because one of the first things that started popping up probably around like three or four weeks after the lockdown started was like puzzles that people have done. (laughs) And you can really tell who are like the very adept people at puzzles because they would post puzzles faster and faster on swap. And who was, you know, a little more challenged at puzzles. So I found it extremely entertaining to uh, assess the puzzle completion. <laughs> oh, my stars. <laughs> so we love the Romance Book Club because it's such a fresh idea on romance. And it's kind of meta in that joyful kind of best way that it can be. So we wanted to ask you, like, where did this idea of having the Bermans Book Club of a bunch of dudes who read romance novels, <laughs> where did that idea come to you? It's so delightful. <laughs> so it's actually twofold because, you know, in the um, romance author community, we have always joked that we wish the men in our lives, the heterosexual men in our lives, would read romance. We, we wish that they would read the stuff that we are reading and that we're writing, um, you know, because we want them to see what the world looks like through our lens, right? And what better way to do that than through um, an entire genre that celebrates our inner lives in such a positive way and really puts a priority on our point of view and 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 our success and our needs and, um, you know, just shows what the world looks like through our eyes. And so that was always kind of a running joke, you know, or kind of a running theme in, in the romance world. Well, and then four years ago, uh, Donald Trump happened. And, um, I like a lot of American women, I think, you know, we, especially after the Hollywood access tape came out, it was just like a breaking point. Like something inside me sort of broke where I was like, how is it possible that we're still elevating men like this who are caught on tape saying these God awful things, right. About women. And, um, 
and and just you know who who behave in these very toxic toxic ways. How are we still basically celebrating these kinds of men? And and I was like, you know what? I need to live in a world. I need to create a world that models the kind of men that I know have to be out there, right? Those guys have to exist somewhere. And so it, it just the two ideas sort of came together at that point. And I, the very first scene that I wrote, um, was I just sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to write a scene where this, you know, character Gavin, um, is being introduced to the book club for the first time. Like, what would that, what would that scene look like? What would it sound like? And I sort of modeled it after, you know, if I took my husband, who's a sports journalist, if I took him and all of his sports journalist friends, right. And like locked him in a room with romance novels and told him to read and dissect, what would that conversation sound like? And, and that's where it came from. And, and, um, and it just, it kind of, it was very cathartic to like write guys who were, you know, who just were very, um, emotionally intelligent and, and very feminist and believed in equality and called each other out on it. Right. Like they were the ones saying to each other, you can't tell jokes like that. Like that was never funny. It's not that people are politically correct. That was never funny, you know? (laughs) Um, and so it was very cathartic for me and that's where the idea came from. It was like just actually my own attempt to, um, deal with my own, like (laughs) my own disillusionment with, you know, the election turnout of 2016. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There, there was definitely varying levels of disillusionment after 2016. And, you know, out of all the things to come out of that dumpster fire year, we are so happy that this is one of them. I guess the silver lining, right? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Is that you birthed these, uh, this series. (laughs) And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Acorn TV. You know, there's a world of entertainment options out there. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of compelling international shows that you may be missing out on. It's time to burst the domestic TV bubble and check out Acorn TV. Acorn TV is a commercial-free streaming service that's rooted in British television. It's home to sophisticated and artful storytelling with top-rated mysteries, addicting dramas, heartfelt comedies, and so much more. Uh, There are shows from Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and beyond. Personally, I love Vera, and it's been really difficult for me to find Vera on a streaming service, and now I have all of the seasons of Vera in one place. So I get to watch this older woman investigator go and solve crime just right at my fingertips. I can rewatch them as much as I like. There's also a ton of random David Tennant shows that I didn't even know existed. So it has been such a joy to uh, get to spend time with Acorn TV and uh, I am just in love. Uh, You can always find something new to watch on Acorn TV and because it's loaded with thousands of hours of marathon-worthy content, you can stream on all of your favorite devices for just $5.99 a month. Acorn TV has given Reading Women listeners a special discount code so you can escape into Britain and beyond without leaving your seat by trying out Acorn TV free for 30 days. You can go to acorn.tv and use the promo code readingwomen that's A-C-O-R-N dot T-V, code Reading Women, to get your first 30 days free. Uh, thanks so much to Acorn TV for sponsoring, and now back to our episode.
So I know that you were mentioning that your husband is a sports journalist. Um, and I was also reading somewhere that you were previously a journalist uh, before you started writing romance. What was like the shift kind of like moving from one world into another? Was it was it pretty different or did you find it pretty similar? The, the, the My writing process um, is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the lead times are way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what I learned as a journalist, you know, as a a newspaper journalist was, you know, that, um, that has benefited me as a writer, I think was that you can't expect perfection when you start to write something for the first time that you, the the important thing is just get something on the page and then you can go back and you can fix it and you can see what, where, where are the places where you need more research or, you know, in the case of being a journalist, where do you need to do more reporting? And so for the longest time when I was trying to, you know, um, write fiction, I was, sort of trying to um, fight against what had become at that point my natural writing process. I thought, no, I got to sit down and write chapter one, and then I got to move on to chapter two, you know, and and so that just didn't work with my brain. That's not how I trained as a writer. And so I think that training of writing on deadline and being able to turn off an internal editor and just get words on the page has been very beneficial. Um, the difference, of course, is that um, – you know, as a journalist, you're doing that every single day, <laughs> sometimes twice a day, whereas obviously I have a lot more lead time, but a lot more words to write. Um, but I loved being a reporter. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was, you know, just as much of a dream career for me as being, you know, a fiction author now. Yeah, I think definitely one of the hardest parts of writing is actually like spitting the words out, getting them on the page and then and then the blanks will come later. Hands down with you on that one. Um, you you are on your third book now in the Bromance Book Club uh, romance series, which is which is amazing, and I am so excited that there is another book out in the world. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about Crazy Stupid Bromance? Yeah, and what's it about? Yeah, you know, it's um, I loved writing this book because Noah and Alexis, the two main characters, um, are you know we're such fun characters to write because they start there, you know, they, they are friends. It's a friends to lovers trope, which I'd never tried to write before, but they have such a good relationship. Their friendship is, is just so, um, grounded in respect and, you know, and, and mutual admiration and, um, kindness. There's just a kindness to both of them, um, towards each other and, to, and toward other people. And so what, what was fun to explore in this book was, um, that both of them wanted to advance the relationship into more, but were really afraid to lose the relationship they already had. You know, there was a lot of fear on, on each of their part, but of course, as because it's a romance novel, um, <laughs> something happens that sort of propels them into this new, um, you know, that, that makes their relationship grow. And that is for Alexis. Um, we have met both of these characters in a previous book for Alexis. We met her because she has come forward, you know, came forward in undercover bromances, a um, you know, one of the many uh, survivors of sexual harassment from a celebrity chef. And this has gained her some notoriety she never really wanted. And she's kind of trying to move on with her life. And and she's become sort of a, um, you know, a, a her cafe has become a gathering spot for other survivors. And that's kind of where her life is at when a woman comes in and says, hey, guess what? We're sisters. <laughs> you know, DNA proves it. And 
um, that father you've never met, he needs a kidney. Would you be willing to get tested? And so this new complication in her life really um, brings her and Noah together in a different way. And, you know, again, talking about how this this book has been, these books have, you know, the, the wonderful thing about romance novels in general is it gives us, you know, a, a very hope. They all give us a very hopeful feeling. And for me, writing this book, I just really loved the kindness of of their relationship. It was, um, you know, I like to say that it was like aloe to a sunburn, being able to write two characters who are just so grounded in kindness. Um, and I liked seeing them blossom, you know, as a uh, a couple. So the best friends to lovers trope is one of my favorites because there is just so much angst, you know, and usually there's a lot of like pent up tension, which... We love in romance, you know, the tension is, is everything. Um, uh, a side note, another one of my favorite tropes is like the one that got away slash second chance romance, also angst central. <laughs> so much pining. I love all the pining. Oh, pining. Love that word. Every time it's on the on, on a dust jacket, I'm like, I will spend $27 for this hardcover. It's like my catnip right there. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, So I guess my question is, like, what was it like kind of navigating this pining? And did you enjoy it? (laughs) Oh, I I did enjoy it so much um, because I, too, love books in which – um, you know, you where you can really get into a character's mind where you know that they just want this person so badly, and you sort of feel that with them. You know, every time they get a, gl- a glimpse of the person or or whatever, you know, you just kind of get kicks, kicks you right in the chest, and I love that. And so I really liked playing with that because both of them have been pining for the other but have so appreciate their friendship that they don't want to screw it up, you know? And so what was fun about, you know, exploring it in the context of the romance book club was that the guys kind of take this notion of, you know, the friend zone, right? This notion of, you know, can, you know, that, and turn it on its head and are like, listen, you got, you know, Noah, you're not being fair to yourself. You're not being fair to her, that you you have things that are being unsaid between you. And that is that means that your relationship is not based on, you know, a grounding of respect if you're not saying things to her that need to be said. And so I really enjoyed playing with that, that just this idea that um, um, you know, when you are pining for someone, you you're not respecting yourself or them by not, you know, by refusing to be honest about it. And so that was it was fun. I I mean, I just I love, I'm sorry, but I do love to torture a character, <laughs> you know, and make them long for somebody so badly. <laughs> uh, I do, I do love that. Yes. I, I love the two characters. <laughs> They're some of my favorite characters from the previous book, especially Noah. And he's like this hot uh-huh. nerd guy who works in computer security with yeah. the most amazing man bun <laughs> situation happening. <laughs> he does, yeah. um, he's also um, he's been previously he's a hacktivist who's previously got in trouble with the FBI, yes. which is really interesting. And you know, Joss and I we know nothing about the FBI. We enjoy seeing this in stories, but we don't actually know how they work. So, what was your research for learning more about the FBI and how it you know works with? hackers and um, what were some fun things that you learned while you were researching? Yeah, so it is really fun. I ended up talking to a couple of people who work in computer um, uh, security. Um, One who 
it wasn't a hacktivist in the sense that he wasn't necessarily breaking laws, but he was a computer hacker. Like he, he, he knew how to do that stuff, you know? Um, so I had to, I actually had to learn quite a bit about what does that even really mean? Like, you know, I mean, we throw those word around through words around computer hacking. I don't really know what it means. And I actually ended up getting a little bit too far into the weeds at one point in the research and had to sort of pull myself back and be like, you know what? I don't have to sit down and write code for readers in this book. <laughs> you know, I don't have to give them that. Um, but um, I also did a lot of research on by just studying some of the, um, you know, looking at news articles about, um, you know, hacktivist groups that have been caught and the kinds of things that they've done. But one of the things that I really like to do is sort of turn things on their heads. And I, uh, um, so normally we think about people who hack into, you know, government, you know, secrets and that sort of thing is, is criminals, right? These are people who are, they, they're, they're breaking a law and they often get caught and they often get punished. But what would be someone's motivation for doing that, right? Why, what is, what's driving some of these people? And so with Noah, I really dug into what was it that was driving that in him? Why had he gone down that path as a, as a, you know, in his teens? Why was he using this genius brain of his to do this? And, and so that was a really rewarding part about taking all of this research I had done about the, you know, sort of the hacking culture itself and and how the law enforcement looks at them and then giving it a very human spin because he has a very deep tragic reason for why he goes down that path as a teenager you know his backstory is has he has a a tragic backstory yeah i i definitely think that one of the things that he and alexis joined about in the story i don't want to actually say what it is because spoilers but <laughs> i was like how do i say this without actually saying it but but you know without actually saying it that was definitely one of the things that i found very touching in the book um you know was that the fact that he and alexis were able to kind of join and connect um, on this part of kind of both of their history that they have in common. Um, I also find it hilarious uh, because uh, when we were talking about the FBI, Kendra, you were like, none of us know very much about the FBI. And I was like, that's what we need to say in, or in, in case, you know, someone is. <laughs> I, you know, let me tell you, I worry about my search history. That if someone's actually watching the stuff that I've had to research for various books, like... <laughs> you know, because I started out very basic, like how to hack into government secrets. I mean, you know, who, who, who Googles that, you know, but um, so I definitely, yeah, if you're listening FBI, it was all for the book, I promise, you know. Um, yeah. But and, and for the other two of us that aren't authors, we are now officially authors because we're we're also, quote unquote, <laughs> writing books to research. <laughs> yes. All research, we swear. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And we'll be back with more from this episode after a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor for this episode is, surprise, me, Joss, your Reading Women contributor. And me, Claudia, her cousin. And well, it's not exactly us. It's Let's Get Down to Business, the podcast we co-host together that covers all your figure skating needs. We do competition recaps, update you on the latest news, and of course, we laugh a lot. So if you started watching skating recently after loving Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer at the 2018 Olympics, or if you've been watching since the magic of Gordiva and Grinkov in the late 80s and early 90s, this is the podcast for you. Our favorite part is that in each episode, we recommend a book inspired by Skater's program. We've recommended The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang, A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole, 
and many more. Our links to listen and our social media will be in the show notes. We can't wait to talk skating with you. And now, back to the episode. So I guess turning our attention to Alexis, our, our other main character, uh, she is truly amazing. I, I know that we were talking a little bit about her backstory and, and kind of their connection around that, but a big part of her story is uh, being a survivor of sexual harassment from this uh, celebrity chef who has also um, committed crimes against other women. Um, she started a cat cafe as a safe haven for other women who are also survivors. And over the past several years, including uh, like documentaries on Netflix, like Athlete A, there has been a lot more like um, like coverage and discussion about survivors coming forth with their story. And I guess we're kind of wondering, like, is there something that you hadn't seen covered before or anything that you wanted to, like, emphasize particularly about this movement uh, that you wanted to in Crazy Stupid Bromance? Yeah, def- and I think definitely the survivor story. Um, and But from a perspective of healing and healing on a personal level. And um, and one of the things that, you know, um, I was very fortunate as a journalist to do a story about a woman who started an organization for um, child victims of childhood um, sexual abuse. And I learned so, I just learned so much from her about, in particular, the importance of taking back um, and regaining control of um, your sense of self and your sense of, of, of ownership of your own body. And, and so one of the things that was really important to me, one of the scenes that was really important for me to, to write was when is the yoga class. There's a, a, a she holds a, a, a yoga class at her, at her cafe for survivors. And, and it's specifically yoga designed to allow people to feel again, like they own their own self. They own their own body again, uh, that's something that someone tried to steal that away from them, and this is them claiming it back. And um, so I feel like that I'm so glad that we are having these conversations right now. I think the, um, you know, the, you know, the Me Too movement, as we tend to, you know, shorten it, um, has has made it possible for us to have conversations about all the different forms that harassment and assault take and and how hard it is and why it's so hard for women to come forward, for survivors um, to come forward and talk about what happened to them. But I also think that the next stage then in that conversation needs to be um, the healing process and how how long and sometimes lifelong that process is. And so I really wanted to showcase that with with Alexis, that you know she can't undo what was done to anybody, but she can give them a place to feel loved and connected and understood and a place where they can start to take those pieces back of themselves. And I really wanted to show that through her. She's such a strong character. Oh my gosh. No, I, I think that that's amazing. And and just kind of like connecting it back to stuff that we were talking about earlier. I know that you were talking about uh, like connecting with your family, right? Through COVID and, and lockdown and stuff. And Kendra and I, I actually just adopted a dog for our family, which has been a great, yeah, a great little companion for my toddler. I know Kendra, you have Dylan, who is Kendra's corgi. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> And Alexis, I guess, has her cat cafe and also her own cat who really is not a fan of Noah, which is, I find that hilarious. Would prefer to eat him, I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess that's what kind of spurred the first kind of moment of tension in the book, which which I love. I'm like, go cat. You go. Go beefcake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Get, Get out of this place. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beefcake, beefcake is so fun. I mean, he's um he's also very symbolic, you know, because he also is someone that, you know, his he's this poor cat's been rejected. Everyone looks at him and thinks he's a demon. And yes, he does behave that way sometimes. But, you know, of course Alexis loves him. She's the one who would adopt this demon cat, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I found it also like so symbolic that like his I don't know if you thought of this. I mean I think he did, but <laughs> not to like put words in, in your book, but like, I was like, oh my gosh, his name is Beefcake. Like, does he yes. belong in the bromance book club? Should we send him a book? <laughs> we should. We should have like a whole animal series, you know, all of the animals in the bromance book club. Yes. <laughs> that would, that would be pretty fabulous. My, my parents have an old Persian who is a demon and I just kept imagining Darius just, you know, in his whiny, fussy, I hate everyone kind of attitude. And it was perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know anyone who's ever had like a cranky cat, I mean, they're going to recognize parts of beefcake. I mean, you know, there's nothing like a cranky cat. It's true. (laughs) They are. They are in and of themselves something special. Um, So we also wanted to ask you a little bit about um, masculinity, since this is kind of like that discussion that you're having with the Bermitz Book Club. So here on Reading Women, we feature books by women and femmes, um, and we sometimes, okay, frequently get DMs or messages from men who have clearly let their toxic masculinity and fragility overtake them, to put it kindly. Ah, yes. (laughs) Have you ever encountered this with one of your books or maybe an event that you had, and um, how would you respond to someone who says something like that to you? So it's funny because me directly, I have, it did, that did not happen to me until over the summer when um, Men's Health Magazine did an article about the Bromance Book Club um, because a, um, a man named Jason Rogers, a former Olympic athlete and Olympic medalist, um, he read my book and decided he was going to do this. He was going to start an actual Bromance Book Club and start um, reading romance novels with his, you know, fellow athletes and, you know, and, and, and the men in his life. And so he wrote this article for Men's Health Magazine about it, about the experience and, and how it, it really forced them to, in fact, examine some of their very toxic assumptions that, you know, even if they thought that they were, you know, um, you know, that these, that they were guys who got it, right. They still saw some of their own toxic behaviors in the book. And so after that article came out was when I started to get some messages from men who felt very, as they, you know, they like to use that word triggered, right. They felt very triggered by this, um, this concept of men reading romance and, and the idea of, um, you know, of me trying to take down their ideas of masculinity. And, you know, what I say to them is, um, it, it makes me sad on their behalf because if they would just allow themselves to sit with their feelings for a minute and ask themselves, why does it bother you that, that a man, another guy would choose to examine his own masculine assumptions? Why are you bothered by the notion that we are trying to say there is nothing sexier and more masculine in this world than a man with emotional intelligence. There is nothing more masculine in this world than a man who can approach a relationship from a foundation of equality. And so what my reaction to those kinds of guys is go scream into your pillow for a while and then we can have a conversation. <laughs> like, 
go ahead and let it out for a minute if you need to, but then try to figure out why it bothers you. And if you can't, then you are still way too locked into a very toxic idea of what it means to be a man. And that makes me sorry for them because they're missing out. It's not just on wonderful romantic relationships, but they're missing out on the ability to be vulnerable with their own friends. I feel like one of the saddest things to me that toxic masculinity does to men and the way that we raise boys is we take away from them the ability to have strong, intimate friendships with other men. Um, the way that women, women can have very affectionate friendships with other women. Right. And, and we take that away from men and boys. And, um, and so when I see a man react almost, you know, in, in such a, an angry, violent way to that concept, um, you know, it just tells me that, that, um, they're not ready yet to understand how deeply enmeshed they are into some very nasty messages. It makes me sorry for them. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not only does it make their friendships, you know, less deep or more shallow, but it also, like, if these men have children, right, it's kind of like what ideals and what is their relationship like with their children, right? And, and yeah, it, it kind of just is worrisome. And also, like, yeah, I am so sorry for you and the people that have to encounter these values with you kind of like in daily life. So, yeah, go scream into a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do think about what, ch- what, what are you teaching the children that you're raising in your life? You know, that it's interesting. I, I think one of the things about that is so hard that I think particular, the, the men's health magazine really triggered for some men was that Jason is, um, he's, he's very interesting in, in his reasons for wanting to do this. And, and he writes very often about new models of masculinity. He writes very openly about um, how here he was enmeshed, you know, embedded in this hyper-masculine world of Olympic, you know, of athletes. And he has always suffered lifelong. And I'm not saying anything a secret. I'm not telling a secret. He's written about this extensively that he had always, he had suffered from erectile dysfunction from a very young age, could not talk to anybody about it. He just suffered in silence as in this hyper-masculine, hyper-sexualized world. And, and so for him reading my book, for him to say, this is what we need. Men need to talk about these things. We need to be able to go to each other and have these kinds of intimate conversations that that we allow women to have but we've never allowed men to have and you know and how that those opening themselves up to those kinds of conversations is just allowed them to have better marriages and better friendships and better relationships with their own parents it's it's amazing it's really wonderful oh my gosh yeah absolutely i i think that this especially kind of in this like hyper masculine like athletic sphere i think even so i'm Total side note, but I'm really into figure skating. And, you know, a a lot of people have a lot of assumptions and prejudice, you know, with figure skating and, you know, applying their homophobic and or transphobic beliefs, yes, onto men who are figure skaters, right? And it's so interesting because even within the figure skating community, not even like folks who are just like casual viewers of it, right? There, like up until very recently, there has been 
uh, kind of like this undercurrent of like were folks who were out, you know, in the LGBTQIA plus community, like were they discriminated against in terms of scoring, in terms of like how they presented themselves, their costuming. And yeah, it is very interesting because a lot of the higher ups in the figure skating community are a lot of like cishet men and women. So I, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that that too is important to have, you know, in the, in the context of this conversation about men reading romance is that we, you know, we can't leave out the fact that the members of the LGBTQI community have been writing and reading romance. It's, it's cishet men who, you know, we're trying to reach here that, that, you know, that we're trying to, um, you know, for example, why I specify in my books that, that these men, you know, these, you know, heterosexual men are reading books written by women because it, they are forced to view the world through a different lens than what they're used to navigating, you know, they're different, you know? And so I think we have to acknowledge that, you know, it's when we say men, it, that's not an all encompassing term that, that gay men in particular have a, a long history in the romance genre. It has not been a good one. They have, you know, that it's only been in, in recent years that um, we've seen traditional publishers being willing to publish um, uh, same-sex relationships, you know, traditionally. So homophobia plays a huge role, I think, in the stereotype of, of why men don't read romance, right? That they don't want to appear that they're doing something mm -hmm. that's girly. They don't mm -hmm. want to appear to be doing something feminine. And that's that's rooted in homophobia, Right, exactly. And and it's rooted in the fact that anything that is kind of like stereotypically feminine is like looked down upon in society. And yeah, and that was kind of like the one-two punch that got me like reeled in in the first book. I was like, I like this lady. I'm going to read more. <laughs> and somehow it's a comedy, right? I don't know how, but it is. <laughs> so I guess speaking of Jason and celebrities and athletes, etc., uh, we kind of had a fun question for you uh, as we kind of near the end of these inter this interview. If you had to choose three celebrities who are men, who you think would have a good time in Bromance Book Club, who would you choose and what book would you start them off with? Okay, well, first of all, if if I if like if I could form my perfect, you know, my my three three guys to be in a bromance book club, I think it would have to be led by Chris Evans because he <laughs> I I am so in love with him on Twitter. Like I kind of loved him loved him anyway, right? I mean, who doesn't? But um his he's so outspoken on Twitter and I absolutely adore it. Um, that I feel like he would be the guy that would be saying to the others, that joke was never funny. You need to not say that stuff anymore. Like he'd be the one getting the other guys to take it seriously. So for sure, Chris Evans, does it have to be an actor or can I like bring in, um, <laughs> cause I would love Pete Buttigieg to be in my, my book club. <laughs> um, because he would be the smart one. He would be the smart one that would pull like a bell hooks quote, like off the top of his head, like immediately, like he would just be able to like root this in feminism and, you know, it'd be right. Like he'd have it. It would be oh, correct. That is amazing. And then I also, <laughs> right. And then I also have the biggest crush right now on this. Um, it's he's an MSNBC. Yeah, you see him on MSNBC a lot, but he's a Yale professor named Eddie Glaudet Jr. And I'm like, like secretly, not so secretly in love with him because he's so freaking smart. And um, I really want him in my romance book club because he he too would just be like he's so darn smart that like he would bring just a a level of seriousness to the table. And so those would be my three. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will. I would love to see Hugh Jackman um, just as like the older, wiser yeah. guy who's been with his wife for a long time, you know. And uh, he would be a great like older sage type in the bromance. Oh my gosh, yeah, he would. Because he has been married for so long, and you know what? Who else? Chris um, Hemsworth. He and his wife have been together for a long time. But he's also really funny. Like he can sort of be the like the dude bro that gets it, right? The- oh my word. This is this is fabulous. Um before we let you go, um you have more Bromance Book Club books coming out in the future. Um so what book are we heading into next? I know you can't get any spoilers, but are there like main characters that you're looking at? Yeah, so the next book will be out um, next summer, and it is about the Russians. I'm so Yay, excited. The Russians. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so funny because I never expected to write the Russians book. I mean, what, like, obviously, you know, his his whole point, you know, he's, he's comic relief because he can't digest things. But um, so how do you turn that guy to a romance hero? But I started hearing from so many readers saying, please give this sweet man a book. Please, please. <laughs> and so I started thinking about it and I came up with a story for him. I just started thinking about his background and who is he. And and um, and I'm I'm just so in love with his story. I cannot wait for people to read it. Um, and I think if they read book three, you know, is you got you get a few hints about what's coming for him. Um and uh, I'm just, I'm so excited. So excited about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we are looking forward to it as well. Uh, but thank you so much, Lissa, for coming on the podcast and chatting about the Bromance Book Club. It has been a fabulous time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Lissa K. Adams for talking with us about Crazy Stupid Bromance, which is out now from Berkeley. You can find her on Lissa K, that's K-A-Y, Adams.com, and Instagram at Lissa K. Adams. And of course, all of Lissa's information will be linked in the show notes. We'd also like to say a special thank you to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Joss at Squibbles Reads, and you can find me at KD Winchester. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.